This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Sam. And we are now on to the last part of the Incerto series by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. The book is called Skin in the Game. And I must say, I feel kind of empty right now because it was a long series, a very interesting series. And now I finished it. I don't know what to do with my life. How about you, Sam? Yeah, it's sort of... It's it's been really good, but I feel like I sort of almost could have had something slightly more conclusive for it. But perhaps we'll get that with this episode recording. And mm-hmm. also, when you said that you feel really empty, I thought you were talking about the fact that I sort of have started um, doing a bunch of different challenges. One of which happens to be today, where let's just not eat for forty hours, and yes. we now haven't eaten for twenty hours. Twenty-four, I guess. Definitely getting kind yeah. of hungry. So if we start not making any sense anymore, then we can blame it on not being fed well. Yeah, basically. or if we're just completely the best episode ever and just so wise and brilliant, and it's probably because we haven't been eating and we're just purely yeah, thinking about the exactly. right things. Who knows? All right, so let's get into up to the book. Last book in the series, the Incerto series, and only after finishing the skin of the game, I finally found a way to summarize the whole series and all of the concepts that Taleb talks about in a few sentences. And so I'll, I'll give it my best shot now. And so the basic, basic premise is that there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. And it's very, very difficult to predict things in nature or in society because these things are so complex. And so nature is structured in such a way that organisms or entities that are very fragile, which means that cannot deal with uncertainty or are hurt very much by big shocks, will die out. And so what exists in the world today, as far as humans and animals and living organisms goes, has survived um, over the past thousands of years and has proven to be pretty anti-fragile. So it's, it's been proven adaptable to big changes in environments. And so that's where the book Anti-Fragile talks about. It tries to identify what characteristics make something resistant to change and strong in the face of uncertainty. However, with modern technologies and modern societal changes, especially governments and nation states, Taleb sees that this natural Darwinism or the, the natural selection that kills off badly adapted entities and organisms um, is going away. And that has become because of a lack of skin in the game. And that's, this is where this last book is about. And so it addresses the problems that are happening today where some people manage to be anti-fragile at the expense of others. To give you one example, the 2007-2008 financial crisis was very bad for almost everyone. So a lot of people lost a lot of money in there. However, there were some individuals who managed to make a killing. They were um, taking huge risks with the money of someone else where they uh, managed to gather very, very big bonuses. But when the whole system collapsed, because they were taking so many risks, they were not the one paying the price. And so they were not, they didn't have skin in the game. And that is specifically or more generally what Taleb addresses in his book. Yeah, nice summary. So many things into. Thanks. Yeah, lots of things in this accelerated technology like healthcare that sort of 
we have suddenly lots more people that are sort of unhealthy and underlying health risks that are at risk right now and that we can't quite deal with all the problems. And then having companies that are sort of too big to fail that we can't let fail, but then they, they're more of a monopoly. But then when there's something fundamentally wrong with how the business works, it sort of brings down a lot more of the economy than if we have like a bunch of decentralized dif- different businesses that some will survive more easily, some won't. But as an overall, the shock gets absorbed better. And the ones that are strong for the mm-hmm. problem will still come out of it well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm. And so one of the one of the terms, so he uses a lot of specific words, and I think quite a lot of them make a lot of sense in this context. And so one specific one that he focuses a lot of a lot on is called the Bob Rubin trade. And the Bob Rubin trade is basically a trade where you make a lot of money without risking anything. And so Bob Rubin was the chair of Citibank. And in the 10 years before the financial crisis of 2007-2008, he made a total of 120 million by working there. But as we all know, the bank collapsed because he was taking a lot of risks. But yeah, of course, he at that point was saying, oh, it's a black swan. I couldn't see this coming and I didn't know. And he didn't have to pay anything. So he made all the money um, and taxpayers bore the costs. And so, yeah, that's one uh, interesting concept. And I think it's, it's very well summarizes the, the main issue that uh, Talib talks about. But I um, mean, we can, we can see this happening, you know, the skin in the game concept in, in a lot of other things as well. Mm. Yeah, lots of things. I was in, I mean, we just mentioned that we're doing this fast today. And I think part of the why this is working is a bit more skin in the game because I sort of publicly said I was doing it. And then suddenly mm-hmm. you're much more likely to do it because you've, you've got other people um, watching you and you're suddenly like ah <laughs> it just sort of suddenly puts a bit more risk on your own persona to make things happen and i think it's a really good principle that you can actually leverage yourself to make you do things that you want to do and get the results you want by using skin in the game yourself or working with people that have skin in the game which i think is a much more most of his points is like how to identify the right people to work with and who are the ones that are going to be the best in different situations whether it's businesses or politicians and why they should have skin in the game mm-hmm. so yeah, there he makes a big comparison between hedge fund managers and bankers. And so the main difference between the two, uh, they, they trade differently, of course, but usually or almost always hedge fund managers have the majority of their own net worth inside of their hedge funds. And so they're using clients' money, but the majority of their own net worth is also in the fund. And so they have skin in the game. And so what you see is that a hedge fund manager that survives for, for a long time usually performs pretty well. And so if you would consider to invest your money, it would be a pretty good spot to invest it with someone who has their own skin in the game. If you look at a banker, however, if a banker makes a mistake, he doesn't go bankrupt. He can still stay in his, his own, like whatever he's doing. And so he would say, avoid investing money with people that don't invest their own money. And likewise, don't take advice from someone who doesn't invest in the way that they give you advice about. Mm. So basically, instead of asking someone, what, what should I invest in? You should ask them, okay, what do you invest in? Um, and that would be then the best advice because that's how, how their skin is in the game, basically. Yeah, yeah. So it says, um, the quote is, don't tell me what you think, just tell me what's in your portfolio. And yes, um, exactly. Yeah, he goes a bit further. I think there's another quote, like people's explanations for what they do are just words, stories that they tell themselves, not the business or proper science. So what they actually do, on the other hand, is tangible and measurable and is what you should be focusing on, which mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. goes into the same stuff, really. And yeah, it's really nice. I like this principle because <laughs> so many people will sort of give you good advice on things and tell you stuff, but it's 
it's like, well, what are they actually doing? It's much more important. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so again, I mean, we, we've discussed this in previous episodes, but Taleb really loves his ancients and people that wrote things thousands of years ago, because the fact that we still hear about these things, these things means that they've stood the test of time. And so he makes quite often the reference to Hammurabi's code. Hammurabi's was a, a very old king. I don't know where. I don't know when, but he lived before Jesus did. And so his code was as follows. If an architect or a house builder in his, in his time builds a house, it collapses. And if um, the owner of the house dies, then the builder of the house um, needs to get killed. If the son of the owner of the house dies, then the son of the architect needs to be killed and so on. And so that is, for him, the proof that ancient civilizations realized that skin in the game was necessary. And this is something that we're lacking today. I mean, today there's um, no repercussions for mistakes made, um, at least not in some, uh, some professions. And so there he makes the dis- distinction between a plumber and a financial economist, for example. Because if a financial economist predicts something to happen and it doesn't happen, it doesn't matter because uh, he doesn't have skin in the game and people don't really make hold him accountable for his predictions however if a plumber makes a mistake he's going to be held accountable by um the person whose house just flooded so yeah there's a big difference there mm, definitely so things like oh all the sort of review systems on websites now that sort of they make businesses be more ethical because they're actually going to supply you the product product is like a useful thing from that but i think it gives some examples of like also People building bridges used to have to go and sit under them for a while and or like sleep under them whilst they're building them, that kind of thing, to make sure that they like yeah, yeah, yeah. never leaving it kind of faulty whilst they sort of I think did stuff. It, w- it was in ancient France, or maybe not that ancient, uh, maybe up to 100 years ago. Mm. Um, the people or the architects that designed the bridge had to go live under it for a few, the first few months, mm. something crazy like that, which in the end it makes sense, right? You it's yeah, it's, it's the whole point of the book. I mean, if if you're very bad at building bridges. And you have skin in the game, which means that you go live under the bridge that you designed. If you're bad at building bridges, you're going to die because the bridge is going to collapse and you're going to be underneath. Yeah, it. yeah. And that's the problem. We're, we're, that selection doesn't happen with the interventionism that's currently happening. Definitely. And so he, he specifically addresses you know, all the bailouts that are happening in the markets. And, and it's super relevant because it's, again, happening today. You know, There's a lot of companies who were badly managed that have been buying back shares in the billions over the past 10 years uh, because of all the quantitative easing and all the low interest rates. And today, the moment things go difficult, uh, things become more difficult, suddenly all these companies are, are begging for bailouts. Mm. And so Nassim Taleb would absolutely, uh, without a doubt, uh, argue that they should go bust yeah. because it's their own mistake and uh, these managers need to be held accountable. Definitely. For what they did. Yeah, agreed. And, but yeah, he, he does go further into architects as well. He doesn't seem to like them that much. Um, he's, I think he's got a quote like, architects today build to impress other architects and we end up with mm-hmm. strange, irreversible structures that do not, do not satisfy the well-being of their residents. It takes mm-hmm. time and just like progressive tinkering to make things better. I think he complains about mm-hmm. like designers on trains as in he used to have like a place where he could put his coffee cup because he just used to read things and you have like a shelf that was flat, but then they made it kind of like slightly curved just to make it look better and like, you know, train looked a bit sexy, but they should be the people that use trains should be the one designing it because if they actually like feel the problems of the, being a train user and actually would have not done something like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've, I've noticed this kind of um, phenomenon in, in movies as well. Movies that are 
found like the best movies by critics, I usually really don't like it all. Mm. And so there's like, uh, you know, the movie uh, producers and movie directors, if they make movies to impress critics and other directors and other producers, they're usually not that good. And so for me, the Oscars, for example, it's not a very good representation of what actually were the best movies yeah, during yeah. the year. Um, I think um, Skin in the Game is also illustrated uh, by the minority rule, which was, uh, I found a very, very interesting concept. So the minority rule is uh, as follows. If you have, let's say, 100 people, if 3 to 4% of a group have a significant skin in the game on a certain subject, they can influence the opinion of the whole group. And that might sound very abstract, but let, let's make it very uh, clear. So this is the reason why they don't serve peanuts on airplanes, for example, mm. is because uh, a small minority of the um, population is very allergic to peanuts. And so they can't eat peanuts. The rest of the people can eat peanuts, but they can, can also eat other things. And so the people that cannot eat peanuts have enough skin in the game to influence the airlines to just forget about peanuts in a, as a whole because they don't want to take the risk. And so in this way, the minor minority can influence the majority if they have enough skin in the game. I found that a pretty interesting concept. Yeah, and in, it might not seem too relevant now, but back when it started, like it says like the spread of automatic shift cars wasn't maybe because of everyone preferred them. It was just because if you can drive a manual, you can already drive an automatic, but if you can only drive mm -hmm. automatic, you need automatic. So it was easier to sort of just make, if you're going to make a hundred cars, well, you might as well make like the automatic version because you just mm -hmm. don't need to have mm -hmm. to worry if you've got enough left in stock when you kind of only got one left in the forecourt kind of thing as in anyone can still buy it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and this minority rule is also an explanation for some historic events like the growth of Christianity and Islam. And so the more stubborn people from a religion, the higher the chance of it spreading. And so the more tolerant, ironically, uh, the more chances of, of a religion disappearing mm. over time. One realization I made, I, I watched a talk of Taleb uh, about skin in the game, where he talks about, he starts off and he says, yeah, I mean, I should give a summary of the book Skin in the Game, but he specifically says that his books are very hard to summarize. Mm. Because if it can be summarized, then why not just write a, a summary to get your points across? Yeah. I found that, I mean, <laughs> I immediately grasped why it was pretty tough for us, you know, to summarize his books. Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. It's, it's a mixture of so many things. And so I think you have to read the books to fully appreciate them. Mm. The concepts, like the, the way Taleb writes is with so many, like, because he, he combines, you know, auto, autobiographic parts, he combines mythology, scientific papers, economic terms, and, 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 and some other things, you know, he, he, he writes fiction with his fictional Fat Tony and uh, Nero characters. Yeah, um, got a bit confused by that. If, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it becomes very hard to summarize. Mm, so, uh, definitely. I, I get your There's so much things yeah. into each other things, and so you can't sort of, talk about one element because if you've got so many elements tying into it it's nice it's nice to work mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. but yeah i think like what we discussed on the three percent rule i think he was saying why you have to have a lot of skin in the game when you are the three percent otherwise it doesn't work mm -hmm. so in mm -hmm. mcdonald's it doesn't yes. work the other way around or it says like pizza is the same story because it's just commonly accepted by everyone and unless you're in a place where you're literally everyone is just like a caviar eater or something you're not going to get blamed for ordering pizza so that's more mm -hmm. like a majority one will kind of always win because mm -hmm. no one has enough skin in the game on the other things 
unless you know you're allergic to cheese or something and you can't get pizza without cheese at which point then yeah they'll order you something else mm -hmm. exactly all right what about the next concept the lindy effect because he talks quite a lot about this as well mm, quite a few of his books yeah the lindy effect the name comes from a restaurant in new york which is called lindy or lindy's where they served very mediocre cheesecake and very mediocre coffee but the reason for the name is that actors that were without a job um, usually came together there to discuss plays, you know, Broadway plays and movies. And there they figured out that the longer a Broadway play was being performed, the longer it is expected to be performed in the future as well. Mm -hmm. So if you have a play that's been around for a year, you can expect it to be around for another year as well. If a play has only been around for a week, it's not going to be uh, around as long as another play that has been around for a month. For example, yeah, and so that's the linear effect, and so that's can be found in, in many things. Mm, yeah, as in, that's the same thing for books. Like, if a book's been in print for a hundred years, it's much more likely that it'll be in print for another hundred years. Whereas if it was just released this year, it's unlikely that it's going to be around in a hundred years' time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also same with technologies. Mm. I'm trying to keep uh, up to date with the newest trends. Reading this book, I realized that I should pay more attention to technologies that have been around for a while because they probably will still be around for a while because everyone's saying like oh, everything is going to be disrupted and everything's changing mm. um, but odds are if you put your money on something that has existed for a long time you're going to be better off yeah yeah and i guess we can look at other technologies that we've become very used to but have disappeared in our time even like cd players and sort of cassettes and these kind of things or mini disc players like what the hell happened to them and <laughs> There's a lot mm -hmm. of things that actually have come and gone in technology that sort of, I remember when DVDs came out and then when they first came out, you're like, well, what's going on here? And then sort of after a few years, it's sort of like everyone just had DVDs and DVD stores and you're like making a DVD mm -hmm. collection. And then that's like, yeah, no one's used a DVD in the last five years kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah. when yeah. it will happen in another 10 years yeah. time. Taleb also um, uses this knowledge when he writes a book. And so what he says to himself is when he's writing a book, if you want to write for someone, um, that lives in 20 years. So if you want to write a book that is readable or interesting for someone in 20 years, you should write a book for someone that lived 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. That's relevant and interesting for a person that lived 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's actually the best way to, to make sure that your book is, is, is relevant. And so, yeah, if, if you look, for example, have you read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People mm -hmm. by Dale Carnegie? Yeah. It's a book that came out in like 1920 or something. It's like almost 100 years old. And so it's... They make like they made like a new version, which is uh, adapted for today, which also includes social media and all these things. Mm. And so I read both after each other, and the new version is it's terrible. It's really really bad. So again, the, making it more modern really does make it better or more relevant. And I'm sure the the new version is going to be forgotten in a few years, while the old version will still be around in the 22nd century. He goes very deep into in the. In the book four, the Walls Among, Among Dogs book section, he calls books, parts of his books, books, which yeah. is confusing. But anyway, the book four, Walls Among Dogs, he goes very full on on his dislike of companies and why anyone would ever have a job, which is always fun to read mm -hmm. and helpful mm -hmm. <laughs> as two people that don't have normal jobs as such. Yes. But he says a lot of kind of offensive things if you're an employee. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. He says, by being an employee you signal a certain type of domestication. So if you've been employed for a while, it's like strong evidence of your submission and like the years of depriving yourself of personal freedoms for like nine hours every day in this ritualistic 
punctual arrival at the office is denying your own schedule and yeah not even like having the freedom to do what you want on the way back home you're just like mm-hmm. an obedient mm-hmm. housebroken dog and you're like Ooh. <laughs> but Ooh. then when you think about like, yeah the long term is in it's a bit absurd that you do spend 40 years of your life doing exactly what someone else wants you to do under their framework of things mm-hmm. and not really having time to think your own thoughts and you're like yeah mm-hmm. well that's really weird and yeah, I guess like people are no longer owned by a company, but by something worse. The idea that they need to be employable. The employable person is embedded in an industry with fear of upsetting not just their employer, but other potential employee employers. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of mm-hmm. live in this framework that you just have to always be like this. It's not just for like the employee, mm-hmm. you kind of everything you do, like the skills yeah. you try and take on, like the courses you do to like further yourself, like your networking is just to keep yourself in this structured prison that you're in kind of thing and um mm-hmm. that relates to what i guess what i was talking about earlier like the people that are a bit more free who say kind of weird things that might like risk them losing a job or something you can kind of trust them because they're not worried about fitting into like the normal network they're just actually just doing what they think is best perhaps yeah i noticed that whenever you meet someone they'll always ask you like where do you work mm-hmm. what do you do and so the 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 standard is you should be working for a company, right? Mm-hmm. That's what most people do. And what, that's what you should be doing, I guess. And I, I like to agree with the theories of Talib because uh, as you said, we don't have like traditional careers and we don't work for big corporations or big companies. But then again, I ask myself, what if everyone would suddenly say, ah, I agree with this? Mm, yeah. What would happen then? We'd have no companies at all, but we'd have no like organization of stuff and <laughs> it would be a nightmare. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm just not sure because he makes a big differentiation between entrepreneurs and chief executives. So entrepreneurs are people who build a company, who invest everything they have. They invest all their time into building a business um, and adding value to society. While chief executives, they manage a very, very big corporation. But um, if the corporation goes bankrupt, then they still get out with large bonuses. Yeah, I think he which calls is, them like rent seekers, which is his term for people that just want to make money without any adding any value to the world. So they just want to own something that gives them money without changing things or making it better. Mm. And risking anything from their own, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and there he makes a very big differentiation and there he argues uh, that everyone should aspire to be an entrepreneur and build a business. I've, I've been thinking about that. What if everyone decided, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur. What, what would happen? How, how would the world look? It seems like it, so many things would stop existing or the way they are. I don't know. It's um, curious. Mm. Well, uh, there has to be a lot of, yeah. more freelance style things because you couldn't just run like a business as such but you could do like freelancey things where you sort of apply services to different companies so you don't necessarily have to just work for one company but you could say hey i'm really good at doing like admin stuff i can just do admin for like three different companies and so you kind of specialize in something but then how do you ever have a factory well i guess yeah you have a factory but then like some people come and do the parts of factory laborers as a business and it's just it's just all very broken and just like it still kind of works i guess hypothetically speaking everyone could be a contractor that does their own thing Mm -hmm. i feel like it is an argument against any social support systems Mm. because i think one of the strengths for example here in belgium big corporations cannot hire and fire like for example in the us and so if you get hired, they, I think, need at minimum, like they cannot fire you with one month's notice. They need at least two or three or even more if you've been working there for a longer time. And so there, I think what he would argue is that uh, because of that, people 
lose their skin in the game mm. and they have too much of a safety net and so they are not involved as involved anymore and if everyone would, would start thinking as a freelancer that um, you could be fired the next day if you don't perform i think they would be more free i don't know mm. it would be it would surely be an interesting world but uh, i'm not sure if uh, society would be better off no it's so yeah definitely relies on people but yeah some people really wouldn't even like it and i speak to some people and they just get like they just like sort of consistency and the feeling of safety of just and mm-hmm. having regular stuff and don't like to decide things for themselves anyway. And mm-hmm. they get, it depends what was in. He talks about, but when you glorify it, it sounds nice, but you could sort of say it in a different way. But he's got this quote from like this, one of Aesop's fables, I think like a dog boasts to a wolf about all the, the comforts that he has and the luxuries and that he gets free food all the time. And the wolf is like, oh, maybe I'll enlist to become like a dog and live with someone. And then the wolf asks the dog about his collar. And then he gets terrified by the fact that he understands what the collar is for and it sort of takes away all his freedoms. And he's like, I don't want any free meals. I don't want anything. And he runs away and just goes and be a wolf. And mm-hmm. it sounds great, you know, be a wolf, do what you want, like live this free mm-hmm. life. But some people like sort of the consistency and safety and, and doing these different things. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a bit more of a choice to do what makes you happy, I guess, in that sense. Although mm-hmm. Taleb does also go further to say that you're maybe more free, well, more safer if you are a wolf in some ways because, you know, the you're like at the mercy of your owners who may suddenly just run yeah. out of money and can't afford you and kick you out. And then you're like a dog who doesn't know how to feed itself or something. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. when you work for a company, you sort of, you're not used to innovating. You just do the thing that you do, but then suddenly the company goes bust or like there's no longer jobs in the kind of thing that you do. And you sort of, you're less bendable and less anti-fragile than you are as an entrepreneur where you can kind of quickly change what it is that you're doing and adapt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's clear that Taleb is like, the the way he looks at the world is definitely not the way everyone looks at the world. Yeah. I mean, he, he offends a lot of people and he disrespects almost, almost the majority of people out there mm. in everything that he says and what he doesn't respect and, you know, he doesn't lie. Yeah, he doesn't think too highly of employees, etc. Yeah, so most people he yeah, assumes I mean, is pretty stupid. Which means he yeah. kind of thinks of himself very highly. But, but then, yeah, that, that that last part is very clear. But then again, he he says that he prefers to have a drink with a taxi driver than with an intellectual. Yeah. You know? <laughs> As in, in some ways, he prefers common people that accept that they're common rather than like people that think they're smart but aren't as smart as him. And he kind of gets more annoyed. I don't know if that's almost mm-hmm. like the concept of, you know, the people that you, like countries that border each other, like hate each other. So like the Pakistanis like hate sort of, the people in Tunisia and something or like in Wales they hate people in England and I don't know maybe in Belgium you hate the French or something that kind of stuff mm-hmm. whereas someone comes along from further away and there's something like you so in in Europe you feel a bit embarrassed being British because if most people don't like us that much anywhere else in the world they love British people they're like oh my god a <laughs> British person wow <laughs> and yeah. yeah I don't know if he's just sort of because they're a bit close and he just doesn't they kind of he feels like giving slightly different messages that lead people, whereas like tax people just a bit more like <laughs> far away and distance from his th- ways of thinking and he just finds it interesting to talk to them in some ways. Mm. Yeah, perhaps. Probably not. Anyway, <laughs> right. I yeah, said some words that lasted a while. <laughs> Good. Should we like uh, review things? Yeah, let's do that. Perhaps we can talk about this book specific and then also a bit about the whole Incerto series. Sure. All right. So you're rating on Skin in the Game. I think it it was 
really useful to round up a lot of the concepts he introduced and does make sense of a lot of things. Again, I felt like it could have been a bit shorter and some of the things didn't always add up, but perhaps it's almost a book that needs to be reread to get the full value of it still. Um, mm. But yeah, I could say it certainly wasn't as good as Antifragile. Antifragile was, was better for sure. But I'd say it's more like an eight or a seven, which is kind of the, the pussy level of things. And like it sort of changed my fundamental thinking about some things and it's really been helpful. But mm-hmm. I don't think I'd, I wouldn't really recommend people to start with reading this book. Mm. So perhaps I should say yep. it's less in terms of it wouldn't rank it highly. So yeah, maybe more of a seven or a six in that sense. But it's fundamental in a series and the series was great and it makes lots of sense. <laughs> I'm just going around in circles of like, oh, it's great. It's not great. Could be better. <laughs> Good. Um, I'm going with seven because that's the, <laughs> the central areas of where I've been. All right, seven noted. Uh, so for me, I think I would, I think as an added value to the series, because it fo- it follows Antifragile, and so the last part of Antifragile also talks about skin in the game. And so, in addition to that, I think it's not that much of an added value. I think it's after the bit of Procrustes, the the book that can be removed from the series. Like mm. if, if it wasn't there, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. That being said, I still think it's a great book. And one of the cool things about all the books is that in theory, you could read them on their own. Like mm. You don't have to read the other books. So you can just start by reading Skin in the Game, but I would not recommend it. So I would say if you can only read uh, three books, then you shouldn't of the Incerto series, you shouldn't read The Skin in the Game. And so, <laughs> it's again, a long explanation for my final score, which is also a seven. Good. Yeah, that's it. All right, let's discuss the, the whole Incerto series then. What's your opinion there? And some, like, how would you suggest to, would you recommend it to people, et cetera? Yeah, definitely. I would really recommend it to people. I'd worry that some people get a bit offended by the whole thoughts around being an employee, employer relationships. But I still think a lot of people who are really smart but have jobs would still really like it that do things mm. like banking and risk and this sort of stuff and yeah i think it's just a really good way to view the world and think about a bit of more of a longer term mindset because we just do run around being very caught up in like the recent years and where we're going in the next year we don't think about like the longer term view and how to be a more resilient species and this kind of stuff and mm. that's the, the points that we started with about we kind of lost our ability to evolve as such because we kind of are trying to protect what we have in the moment right now. We're not willing to lose things to actually gain in the future in the long run. And just sort of, we're not mining for the anti-fragile parts of society to be the strongest and to evolve. We're kind of just focusing on keeping hold of what we have and just, or getting like new things. And we're not really thinking logically as a species about how to be the most resilient, well, the most anti-fragile species that we can which clearly we have been because we have been around for a very long time sure compared to other species we haven't been around half as long as like um, jellyfish and crocodiles which probably will still be around in millions of years when maybe we aren't kind of thing but if we listen to, to, to them we could probably stick around a lot longer if, if the way we sort of build society was to take all these things into account so it's super useful for not just bankers who want to make money or entrepreneurs who want to make money but like politicians and people thinking about how they want to change the world and environmentalists and like all these sort of people actually would gain a lot from having these opinions put into their head and like thought about mm-hmm. what about you I agree. yeah yeah so for me i think uh, the incerto series was 
first time I've read like a non-fictional series, books that like, yeah, around a certain central theme. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm very happy that we, we went through the whole thing mm. in one go as well. And we read them all in, in chronological order. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a very refreshing view on the world and ex- explains some phenomena which I couldn't explain before mm. or I hadn't didn't have any theories for, which is ironic because one of the um, arguments or one of the core principles of Taleb is that we shouldn't try and explain stuff because it's too complex for us to understand. Yeah, I mean, he does a lot of explaining <laughs> despite saying that like explanations are quite right. Yeah, anyway, I would say that for me, Incerto is, is like... It's a must-read for anyone who wants to mm. understand the world. Yeah, better. it's not always an easy read at times, but it's really worth it. And I definitely feel a lot wiser having read it. <laughs> Absolutely. And if I can always sort of explain that wisdom to other people all the time, but yes, it's been great. I think, that, and also the, the sum of the books is better. Um, well, the sum of the total is better than the, the, yeah, the sum of its parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So I think in Sherto, so the whole five books, is together way better than just all the, all the separate books summed up. So if if you read one, I think you should make the dedication to read all of them. Mm, yeah, maybe put it a slog, but it'll be totally worth it. And if you can, read it with someone else that's reading it and talk to them about it. Because yes, get so much out of yes. doing that. Yes. And I mean, if not, if you can't find anyone else, just give us a call. <laughs> yeah, we're happy to discuss it. I love the book and yeah, I have to discuss it indeed. Yeah. All right. Sure. I think that rounds up the episode. Cool. Um, we haven't decided yet what we're going to read next, <laughs> but we will. Yeah, we've got like a big list of things that we kind of want to read. And we've also been discussing that actually maybe we just take Taleb's uh, um, suggestions and just go into like the historically amazing books and, and start reading new stuff, debate. We'll see. Mm. It's going to be a mystery until we publish the episode. So uh, until then, yeah, see you. Ciao. And have a good time. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast. As you know, we are doing this to try and help you get smarter. Well, I have another project for podcast listeners just like you who want to be smart. Nico and I learned so much from reading the same things together and discussing them, and I wanted there to be a tool that made it easy for anyone to listen to the same podcasts and books together with their friends. So I'm building the app Syncify, which does just that. It connects you with your friends in the app listen to the same things at the same time, or create shared playlists and work through them at your own pace. You can share comments and highlights of your favourite bits and become smarter by seeing what your friends think around the same content that you enjoy. As a bonus, it also helps with your mental health and reduces isolation. Personally, I hate publishing my life on social media, which I find all rather antisocial and I don't go out of my way to phone a friend for no reason other than the fact I feel lonely. But I do love doing things with other people, and having my friends listen to the same things is is really awesome. I mean, I used to speak to Nico like once a year before we started this book club together, and now we talk all the time because we're just doing something together. So do yourself a favour and sign up for the Syncify app at syncifyapp.com, and I really hope it helps. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything new, be sure to share it with your friends. And I just can't tell you how great it is if you were to happen to leave a review on iTunes. These really do help quite a lot. If you have any questions or books that you'd like us to read, feel free to reach out to us through the website, wiserpod.com, or reach out to us on LinkedIn. And just keep loving and keep learning, and ideally, keep listening. 
big love from Sam and Nico and the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Thank you.